Well, Merry Christmas, Rocky Peak. <laughs> Great to see you here. Uh, so good to be with you. Uh, my name is Michael. I, too, am one of the pastors here. If it's your very first time, I want to welcome you. We're just so glad that you're here to cele- uh, celebrate Christmas with us. We're going to go into our time of teaching uh, right now. Today is going to be a little shorter than usual, which is your first Christmas miracle of the season. <laughs> Uh, inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week. And so I encourage you to take that out as we reflect a little bit on Christmas together. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be pursuing you as a church. And we're just thankful for this time of year when we reflect and remember on this time you became part of our race to rescue us. And, and so we pray that as we look at old story through new eyes, God, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today, that we'd hear you speak to us by name. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today a long time ago. It's a story of a king and a kingdom. And it's a kingdom in crisis. Uh, The king has just gotten word that there are two neighboring kingdoms that have formed a military alliance. And they're soon going to be marching against him and his capital And they're threatening to destroy his land and take over his throne and place their own puppet king on the throne. And so as the story starts today, he is walking through the streets of the ancient city. He's walking, he's got a bodyguard with him, as kings always do. He's got some of his court officials, but he just feels a need to get away from the palace and get away from the politics and get away from the fear that's gripped the entire nation. And so as he walks through the city streets, he heads up towards the upper pool that feeds the aqueduct that brings water to the city. And when he finally arrives, he's standing up there and the sun is setting. And in the distance, he sees a man approaching, this man with a little boy. And he doesn't recognize him at first, but as he gets closer, he begins to come into view. And he, he now he recognizes him. To be honest, he has very mixed feelings. Little does he know that this man is bringing him a message. It's a message that's going to impact the direction of his kingdom. And in path of that, it's going to impact the direction of the history of our entire race. Well, today is Christmas, right? Or Christmas celebration. And uh, it's so good to be with you here. And like I say, especially if you're new, I want to welcome you. Uh, if you're new, you won't know this, but we've been in a series uh, as a church all fall called The Gospel. And one of the things we've learned is that the gospel is so much bigger and brighter and bolder, is so much richer, higher, deeper, fuller, wider than we often have understood. And it's impossible to understand the gospel apart from the story of Israel. And what I want to do today in the next few minutes is just take some time and to go back into one of the most critical chapters in Israel's history that's important for us to understand the life, the teaching of Jesus, and especially the meaning of Christmas. And so there on your handout, you have a section called Freely Given, the Prophecies. And what I want to do today is is start by going back to the story that we just started the day with, this king who's just received the news. And so this king, his name is Ahaz. He is the king of the southern kingdom of Israel. We call it the kingdom of Judah. The year is the 8th century B.C., the 700s, so 700 years before Jesus. 
And uh, he is a king of the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, uh, about 200 years before this, uh, after the reign of King Solomon, uh, the kingdom of Israel went through a major civil war. Uh, much like our civil war, there was a north and a south, except unlike our civil war, this war ended in a division of the entire uh, nation from that point on. And so after this war, there was the northern kingdom made up of, of ten tribes that was called the nation of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom with the capital at Jerusalem that was called the kingdom of Judah. And so uh, what, it, what happens is, as our scene unfolds today is that he has just gotten word that the kingdom of Israel to the north has entered into a military alliance with the kingdom of Syria. And they are conspiring to march on the, the nation of Judah and the capital of Jerusalem to destroy it and to take over his throne and place their own uh, kind of puppet king on the throne. And he is scared to death. In fact, we're told that uh, in Isaiah, we're told that not only his heart, but the hearts of the people were shaking like leaves on a tree. They knew they did not have the military force to hold this back. And so on this particular day, for whatever reason, we don't know why, but he is in the midst of this crisis, he's walked up through the city streets. I'm sure he's got bodyguards, some court officials around him. As king, you just don't go walking. And so they're heading up, and we're told he's on this particular road that leads to the upper pool that feeds the aqueduct that brings water to the city. And as he's there, we don't know for sure why he's there. My guess is that he just feels the need to get away, uh, to get away from the palace, some, uh, some space to think. But as he's there, we're told that in the distance, he sees a man and a young boy. And as they're approaching, he can begin to make out, and he realizes who this is. And honestly, has very mixed feelings. Because the young man that's walking towards him is bringing his young son, and his name is Isaiah, and he is a prophet of the God of Israel, the God Yahweh. And the reason he has mixed feelings is because Ahaz is not a follower of Yahweh. Though he's the king of Judah, though he's the great, 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 great grandson of King David, who is the worshiper of Yahweh, Ahaz is not a worshiper. He is defected. He has begun to worship pagan gods. And so it's a very awkward moment. It's a time of crisis. It's kind of like seeing your pastor from when you grew up, but you no longer go to church. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a good, like it's kind of like it's a crisis, right? In the midst of crisis, everyone gets a little bit of religion. But, uh, but on the other hand, it's sort of awkward because he's no longer following Yahweh, and this is the prophet of Yahweh. And so when he comes, sure enough, this is a divine appointment. Yahweh has sent Isaiah with a message for the king. And it's ultimate good news, bad news message. The good news is, is that, hey, you're scared to death of this king of Syria and the king of Israel, this military alliance. And the good news is that they are not going to invade like they planned. Their plan is not going to work. They're not going to destroy your nation. That's the good news. The bad news is, I know what you're thinking. And the bad news is, is that you are planning to form a military alliance of your own with Assyria, Assyria, not Syria, Assyria, the, the superpower of the day to protect yourself. 
And if you do that, Assyria is eventually going to come and destroy the land. And so what you need to be doing is trusting not in Assyria and their gods. You need to be coming back and trusting in Yahweh. And he says, on top of this, just to, make, to, to show you that, that I'm not just making this up, Yahweh has given you, he said that you can ask for a sign, a supernatural sign to show you that those two kings will not invade. And it says, and Yahweh's even given up to you. What sign do you want? You get to pick your sign. And Ahaz doesn't want a sign. He doesn't want to follow Yahweh. The last thing he wants is a sign that suggests he should. Have you ever been in that spot in your life? You don't really want to know what God thinks about your situation. And so he gives this pious response. He says, oh, I would never want to test Yahweh that way. And Isaiah said, well, he's going to give you a sign anyway. And that brings us to one of the most famous verses in the Bible, one of the famous verses in Israel's history, one of the turning points of human history. It's a verse that we often see at Christmas. And I put it there on your note sheet. It's in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm sure many of you will recognize this. But he says, the Lord himself, and, and for those of you who are here at Rocky Peak, you'll notice we see Lord in all caps. What does that mean? Yeah, Yahweh. It's a personal name of God. He says, Yahweh himself will give you a sign. He says, and here's a sign. There's going to be a virgin. Right? This sign is going to have, as we're going to see, it's going to be fulfilled at a couple different levels. But in the immediate future, it's going to be filled. He says, there's a virgin, a virgin that we all know. He doesn't mention who she is, but apparently they knew. Maybe she was part of the, court, the royal court. His family, we don't know. But he said that uh, a virgin, in other words, a woman who is currently not married, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. In other words, she's going to get married, and she's going to get pregnant, and she's going to have a son. And unbeknownst to her, she knows nothing about this prediction, but when that child is born, she is going to call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he says, he goes on to say, and what's going to happen is before this child while he's still very young, in fact, before he can even tell good from evil, before his conscience is even developed, before he grows to that age, within a few years, those two kings that you fear, the two kings that have you shaking in your boots, the king of Israel and the king of Syria that you're so afraid of, they're going to be completely destroyed. And so you don't need to worry about that. But of course, as we know, there was a greater prophecy involved in the long term about a salvation that would come. But a couple chapters later in uh, Isaiah, Isaiah gives us some more information about this son that would be born of a virgin, this mysterious child. And let me set it up just briefly before we look at the passage. And so, Isaiah's looking in the future, and sure enough, King Ahaz doesn't listen to Yahweh. He forms a military alliance with Assyria. In fact, he even worships their gods and imports their gods to be worshipped at Jerusalem. And so as a result, in the coming years, in 722 BC, Assyria will invade the land. 
About 10, 12 years before that, they will destroy the king of the north and the king of, uh, the king of Syria. But in 722, they will come in and devastate the land. And, it will be, and they will take the people of Israel and the northern kingdom and they will disperse them, exile them throughout Assyria. They'll move them a thousand miles away, transplant them, and they'll bring in Gentile population to repopulate the land. And so it's a devastating time. And so in chapter 9, Isaiah is looking into the future. He sees this devastation that's coming. But beyond the devastation, he sees hope. He sees a light shining in the darkness. And of course, when Assyria came in from the Middle East, Assyria is like modern-day Iraq and in southern Turkey. When Assyria came in, they swooped in from the north. And so it was the northern tribes, like, for example, two of the tribes of Israel in the far north near the Sea of Galilee were the tribe of Zebulun and the tribe of Naphtali. And it was these tribes that were first conquered and first destroyed. And as Isaiah looks into the future, he sees a time where hope and light will rise in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's very much like Lord of the Rings sort of thing. It's just like a, like a prophecy about Aragorn or something like that. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, this is how it goes. Now, this too is a very famous prophecy that we often see at Christmas cards but they don't put the first part of it because it just doesn't have that hallmark sound. But, but it's an important part of the prophecy. And so this is the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. He says, Isaiah looks in the future, he says, nevertheless, like in spite of this devastation that's coming to the north of the land, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, these two uh, tribes in the north. But in the future, at some unspecified point, he will honor this area in the north called Galilee. He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So he looks in the future and he sees this light rising and he says, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he gives us the reason why this hope is rising. And he says, for unto us a what? A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And then he goes on to tell us more about this mysterious son, this one that he started telling us about two chapters before, this son born of a virgin. He said, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And so, well, I think I skipped a line. Uh, the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, he will be the king, the great king. And he said, he will be called wonderful counselor. In other words, he'll be an amazingly brilliant, wise leader. Uh, that he will be the mighty God. That in some mysterious way, God himself will come in this child. And, the, uh, and he'll be the everlasting father. In ancient times, when the king was often looked at as the father of the nation. But catch, it's an everlasting father. I want to say this kingdom is never going to end. And then he'll be the prince of peace. And in the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne. So he'll be a descendant of King David and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Uh, kind of a golden age when all wrongs will be turned to right. 
And of course, this is the background. This is the story of Israel we're stepping into when we step into the story of Jesus. And so if you look at the, the next section there on your hand, that it says freely given the fulfillment. So as we open up the New Testament, right? We've got two parts of our Bible, the Old Testament, uh, kind of the story of Israel, the New Testament, the coming of Jesus, and the continued story of the nation of Israel, then moving, moving out from there. And so as you open it, the very first book in the New Testament is a book called uh, Matthew. We call it the Gospel according to Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector, which means in Israel, he was uh, kind of a religious reject, right? Uh, a tax collector is someone who'd sold out to Rome, so they're working for the enemy. And uh, you, by definition, you were spiritually unclean. Uh, and so you were religiously far from God. Well, one day, Matthew is sitting at his tax collecting booth there in Capernaum, taking in customs taxes. And Jesus calls him along. And to Matthew's surprise, he calls him to follow him. Now, this is unheard of. It's like this is a person who couldn't even be allowed to go to the synagogue or he couldn't be, you know, he, would be, he was a reject. And Jesus is calling him. And so we begin to learn something about Jesus that he doesn't care where we're coming from. He cares where we're going. And so he extends this invitation and Matthew follows. And then after Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, Matthew writes one of the first biographies on the life and teaching of Jesus, and we call it the Gospel of Matthew. And when he starts this Gospel, he starts it off by interweaving and connecting, weaving together the story of Israel and the story of Christmas. And so he starts his Gospel with a genealogy. And the whole point is to show that Jesus came from the line of David as, the, as any king claimed to the king would have to do. But on top of that, then he tells us a story about his supernatural birth, the supernatural pregnancy, the being born to the virgin. But notice how he ties it into what we saw 700 years before, what Isaiah said. He said there in your notes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, speaking of Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him, what? Emmanuel, Emmanuel which means God with us. And so he's beginning to weave this story of Jesus into the story of Israel to show the ancient prophecy given to King Ahaz, the sign that was given is now being fulfilled that this is the true king. And of course, this is not the end of the story of Jesus. I mean, his birth is just the start. And so as you fast forward, you know, we go 30 years later and Jesus is launching his ministry. And what you'd expect if anyone comes that claims to be the great king of Israel, what you'd expect that he's launched his, his, his kingdom movement, he would launch that in Jerusalem. That's where kings go, but he doesn't. He goes to the north. He goes to the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. He goes to the area where Assyria conquered and brought in all these Gentiles. Kind of a mixed area, a suspect area. And he launches his ministry there. And the question is, why would he do that? And Matthew says, it's because of the prophecy. And so he says, uh, in, um, he says leaving Nazareth, um, talking about Jesus, leaving Nazareth where he'd grown up. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was a, a kind of a town that was on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. We visit it every year we go to Israel. 
and you actually can go to the synagogue there where Jesus taught and the foundation, at least, as it goes back to the time of Jesus. And you go to Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, and, and a synagogue from the time of Jesus where Jesus would have taught. And so he goes to this area called, in this city called Capernaum, and, uh, and then he says, which was by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, where those tribes were, and he said, uh, and, and Matthew says, this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said back in chapter 9 of Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And in those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And of course, this is just the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9 about this child that would be born, this son that would be given. But what we see as Jesus begins to burst on the scene and launch his ministry, we begin to see the fulfillment of chapter 9 of Isaiah. We see him teaching with this incredible wisdom that wherever he would go, teaching with a wisdom and authority that we're still today respected as the greatest teacher of all time, regardless of Christian or not Christian. He's just widely recognized as, as a brilliant thinker. And so he teaches with this wisdom, a wise counselor. He acts with power of mighty God. He heals, he opens the eyes of the blind. The, 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 the dumb can speak, the, those who can't, eat, can't hear, their ears are open, the lame are walking, the dead are rising. He's walking on water, he's commanding the elements, he's multiplying. It's as if God has come. It's as if Emmanuel, God with us, has come. And his message was kingly. In fact, the core of his message consistently and clearly, wherever he went, is that the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, the kingdom Isaiah talked about, this kingdom would never end. Jesus made the massive claim that it had started. That it was started. And then by his life, his death, his resurrection, he proved that claim to be true. And of course, as was the case with Matthew, what was so different was that Jesus really didn't care what you'd done or where you'd come from, your background. That if you wanted in this kingdom, if you wanted in this kingdom and if you wanted the gifts that he brought as the king, the gifts of wisdom, the gifts of power, the gifts of forgiveness, the gift of healing, the gift of transformation, the gift of his spirit, if you wanted in, it didn't matter where you'd come from. All that mattered was whether you would follow him, bow the knee to him as your king, and become part of his kingdom. And as he began to draw his disciples and they began to follow him, he began to open their eyes to a bigger vision that the reason he'd come was not just to provide salvation in the by and by, but he had come to transform them into be a new kind of person, the kind of person we were created to be, a person like him, that we would not only be those who receive his gifts of wisdom and healing and forgiveness, but we would become gift givers. We'd become world transformers that we would become what he was, the light of the world. And the way he put it, when he sent his disciples out, some of you will remember this. He said, freely you have received. Freely give. Three of you, good. 
That's really good. All right. I don't know where you all go to church, but you need a new pastor because you're not learning very much. Yeah. Let's do it again. Freely you have received, freely give. Right? The vision was not just to be forgiven, go to heaven when you die. The vision was to be transformed, that the people of the king become like the king, that we would become conduits of his grace, his mercy, his power, his healing, his transformation. Freely you have received, freely give. And that's why we gather at Christmas. We gather to remember that there was a time and there was a place when the God who created all time and space entered into his creation, became a part of the human race as a child that was freely given, that we might be transformed and we might become like the king, gift givers. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for Christmas and the chance it gives us every year to reflect on this amazing time when you broke into time and space, a time when you kept your promise to Isaiah, kept your promises to Israel that you came and you launched a kingdom that we can become part of today. And Father, as we reflect now on that, we reflect on this, this son that was given so freely as we reflect on your vision for our lives that we would become gift givers. We pray you'd meet us as the band sings over us now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.